You're listening to Law, Life, and Culture with Betsy Kim on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. Hello, welcome to Law, Life, and Culture. I'm Betsy Kim. If you've ever walked down Chapel Street between Temple and College Streets, more specifically the Kitchen Zinc and the Ann Taylor store, and if you've peered down the pedestrian walkway, Looking at the walls and the cement garage at the end of the alley, you've seen a site project's New Haven's commissioned work. Felice Varini's red mural, Square with Four Circles, consists of fragmented parts painted across the alley walls and the garage, but it's an optical illusion creating what looks like one unified geometrical painting, and this changes depending on where you walk. If you want to walk down the alley, the optical illusion continues. You should try it and take some selfies while you're at it. But there are more site projects New Haven public art installations underway. The nonprofit's executive director, Laura Clark, and Robert Greenberg, co-founder of Site Project's Public Art Fellows Program, along with Laura, are here in the WNHH studios. Laura and Robert, welcome to our program on 103.5 FM radio and live streaming on the New Haven Independence Facebook Live. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we made it. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> So your website describes Site Projects New Haven as a 501c3 nonprofit that commissions public artwork, programming, and events to enhance New Haven's cultural heritage and diversity. But can you tell me more about what your organization is trying to achieve with art such as Felice Varini's? So we bring public art into New Haven's public spaces. And uh, what that does is, we hope... Uh, is it grabs the attention of people walking by. Uh, it causes people to look at and notices, notice places that they are maybe haven't been aware of, like the Farmington Canal in 2007, and like now the Route 34 underpass over Union Avenue. Places that people have just ignored or uh, just didn't think about, and to turn them into something that causes people to think differently about their city. Your website says public art is an essential part of a healthy, democratic society. Why is that? Well, <laughs> Robert's handing over to me because he uh, has just come in just now. Uh, we think that participation is everything, and it politically, culturally, socially, but that people need to be drawn in to participate on their own terms, uh, on with their own own volition. And so we put things out where people from almost any neighborhood uh, could pass by and see something that is in, that is non-political, non-religious, and non-commercial. Nothing's being sold. No uh, political agenda is being promoted. And that we think is a really rare thing in people's lives. I think also that um, with the diversity of New Haven and the community that's here that either lives here or comes in from Yale or um, it it really doesn't matter where you come from. When you're walking down the street here, you're experiencing the same thing, Uh, whether it's the three churches, whether it's the green, whether it's the beautiful buildings at Yale, um, all the storefronts that are up and down Chapel Street. And the wonderful thing about the Varini is that it catches your eye in the peripheral because of its orange and it, it allows you to 
create a motion where you walk into that site, you kind of move around until you find that wonderful s- sweet spot and it all comes together. And it doesn't matter wh- where you're from. You're all going to get an emotion from that. And that's the beauty of that particular piece. I'll just say there is a, there's something like that that naturally happens in New York City when you're on Fifth Avenue. There's an area in the, ni- in the 20s, um, up like 27th Street or somewhere around there, um, that you come upon the Empire State Building where everybody takes the same photo where the Empire State Building is framed perfectly. And that's a natural one. The Verini allows you to do the same type of thing. So I think that what, what Site Projects does is it allows all cultures, all anybody from anywhere to um, experience that place. In addition to being open to a diverse audience because it's open to the public, are there other ways that the work you do embrace diversity and bridge economic and social differences? Uh, in that when we make a, a publicity appeal, uh, it well, first off, from the very beginning, our the goal that we set for ourselves was to choose artists and artwork that would be uh, r- radically accessible. I used that term with a curator at Yale one time, and he just laughed. But for us, uh, for kids from uh, the, the most disadvantaged neighborhoods and kids from uh, Yale MFA programs and all of the college kids around, they all needed to see something. They won't be seeing the same things, but for them to be, be able to get something out of it. We had such an interesting group of people come to see the erector set boats in the canal because so many of their grandparents had worked in the factory. That's very interesting. Well, this is law, life, and culture. So can you explain legally, how do you go about securing authorization to paint on public walls or display site-specific projects on public grounds? I have to take that one from you, Rob. you cannot do it. We don't would not dare do it if we didn't have written permission from uh, either the Parks Department or a private uh, building owner like George Sedrew owns the building that Zinc is in. Uh, and many of the things that we do involve um, permissions from the Parks Department. Many fr- uh, w- times we go right to city plan uh, and ask for their permission. Okay. I understand you have in the works a unique site-specific light installation called Lighting Your Way, and it's planned for the area that you referenced in our conversation a little bit earlier, walking down State Street to and from Union Station at the Route 34 Connector Highway underpass. Can you describe it? You want me to or you want to? Well, you could start, but I I have a lot to fill in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, This is a a light sculpture, an interactive light sculpture designed by the artist uh, and educator Sheila DeBretville. She, when Site Projects approached her in 2012 and asked her if she would be, if we could commission her to do a piece in that place, she readily agreed because she had already decided that what that place needed was the the lift, the attention, uh, the perhaps whimsy, the the engagement of a public art piece, and she had already been thinking about it. But what she's done is extremely interesting because uh, it is uh, 
in some ways very simple, <clears throat> but with a complex result. So she is calling to install some big LED cans along the bottom of a beam going over the sidewalk, six of them. And those will throw a light circle onto the sidewalk. Those light circles will be spaced so that you, if you're coming in from either side, you will see six bright circles of light interspersed with the darkness that's there right now. So it goes light, dark, light, dark. But because light doesn't really show up until it hits something, when you see someone coming toward you, they will light up when they walk into a circle and then they will not light the, they will lose the light when they go into the dark. I, I think the beautiful thing about uh, Sheila's project is the simplicity of it. Uh, when I first saw it, I was a little taken back by that simplicity. And then I thought about not only the history of the site, which we can go into after, but also how dark that space is. And you want to rush through it. And it's dirty and there's pigeons and there's and it's, it's loud. Um, but it's also, if it's, if it's lit up properly, you have this wonderful amphitheater feeling. And it's very much like I lived in Manhattan for 26 years, and I remember the subway systems would engage lots of different artists and sounds, and then the train would pull up, and away the people would go, and a new group would come through. This site is very much like that. You, you walk through this site from either direction, and you're not thinking about the site. You're looking at your cell phone. You're trying to get through it. But now you, you have a backdrop where you can actually do something. And, and I'm not saying that everybody's going to perform in it. It might feel better when it's lit up for people to walk through it. It's less scary. But also it engages some kind of interaction with the site where there was none before. And the simplicity of that backdrop is really giving you a platform for that. So the site, the structure of that huge uh, steel bridge, uh, which was put in in 1959, starting in 59, it has almost, it has this big sloped plane at the bottom uh, that goes, that con- that connects the vertical support of the bridge down to the sidewalk. And what she's called, what she realized was essential for the site was to cut that slope back enough to double the width of the sidewalk. So once you get in under the main structure of the steel bridge, there will be a widening of the sidewalk, and in the vertical wall near the ground, there will be motion-activated lights at foot level. So when does work on it start, and when will it be finished? Oh, that's such a good question, and we're asking ourselves, and we're asking the city, and uh, there have been many uh, uh, proposed times that it would be finished. Uh, we hoped that they would finish it this spring. We thought, hope that they will start it in September. But they're getting really close to the 380th birthday of the city of New Haven, which will be next April. We hope that they will start it uh, and and finish it by then. And it requires uh, changing the drainage so that the drainage doesn't come down that slope. And so there's a lot of technical things that engineers have to do in order for the beautiful backdrop to be created 
So there's a, a lot of sophistication in the redesigning of that space that was done in the 1950s. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I noted um, in a description of the art installation that it would help solve drainage problems. Right. So in addition to building a space for the installation, what drainage issues will be improved and resolved? Well, I would assume, because if you look at it now, the drainage just drains right down that slope. In the winter, that gets icy, and that's dangerous for the sidewalk. So I'm sure that the engineers, and I'm not an engineer by any means, but I could see what, what's happening now. I'm sure the engineers will divert that water to the sides, and they will it'll be amply drained off. Um, and also, I think that the city and the state will embrace that transformation of that just because it makes it a safer walk walkway. So what is the estimated cost of this whole project? We have... Uh the truth is that site projects has not been part of that at all. It's all city, state, and federal highway money. Uh, all of the details of the light fixtures and the uh, uh, beefing up the electrical system for the interactive lights at foot level, all of that had to be taken care of with the engineers of the city and the Department of Transportation, and we don't really know, but we it's it's part of a pot of money for a downtown crossing phase two. It's a very small part of that money, but uh, we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's three hundred or four hundred or five hundred. But that's great the way this public art can also integrate other urban planning issues with the Department of Transportation and the City of New Haven and other yeah, entities. I, I think that it's really fabulous when they build on the Coliseum site, finally, when they do that. And that's going to be fantastic because that will become the really stitched area that we need right now. Uh, when they do that and then they work on Union Station, which they're going to do that, too, you're going to have this wonderful walkway right there, and it that should be in place before those two phases happen. And and that's really going to help the people that are coming in via transportation and students that are walking through there from schools. Can I add one thing to sure. that? Because I have been saying very bold things about this project, but I really believe them. This is going to be that that underpass is a very obvious gateway to the city of New Haven. And lots of people go through it coming in from the train station. And it has n always been that daunting and intimidating. It hasn't always been that deteriorated feeling. But as a gateway to the city, it will be amazing to upgrade that. And as a, a public artwork, it's going to reach more people than anything we've ever done. Plus, I do believe I would love for someone to call in Betsy Kim and say, you're wrong, but I don't think there is a public art piece installed in a state highway bridge in Connecticut where it is integrated into the structure of the bridge. Yeah, I've never heard of one, even outside of Connecticut. And I have to agree that currently the underpass area does look a bit dingy and industrial, and it doesn't exactly say, welcome to New Haven. Can you amplify a little bit more, in addition to the lights, what will be there to change this perception? Well, what we're trying to do now, and Robert can jump in on this, but because Robert is the person I went to as soon as we started to get things going, and I said, Robert... Uh, we need to do programs for high school students and people in the community 
to get them excited about this place? What's going to cause them to stand down there and get excited? He said, well, it is the oldest commercial place in New Haven. And I said, you've got to be kidding. And he said, no, no, no. And so he started pulling out maps from his collection, and it gets very exciting. Yeah, I think that is very interesting because it does not look like it was ever a hub of commercial activity. So can you, Robert, discuss a bit of the historical reasons why the underpass on State Street at Union Avenue was chosen for the art installation and a little bit about New Haven's history of the site? Well, as far as it's being chosen, I think that was part of Sheila doing that. I think um, I give her the credit for being an artist who uh, saw a space that she could readapt uh, for the community and because of the walkway it is. Um, but for me personally, having grown up in New Haven and being extraordinarily passionate about the history of this city, uh, and as everybody probably knows, uh, I saw that site as this is the very landing site in 1638. This is a site that was once a river. And that river went right up along George Street, where um, John Davenport landed with the Hector, right where um, the uh, uh, Arts and Humanities High School is. That's where the oak tree was, where they prayed on uh, in April in 1638. And so I saw that site as being a continuously used site for the commerce of the colony in the beginning, and then uh, as time went on, uh, it was filled in, it became a... Um, it became a neighborhood uh, because the nine squares eventually sprawled outwards. And then it had a pier on it. And that pier kept growing and growing and growing. And it happened right at that point. That very point is where the custom house was uh, it back in the 17 and 1800s. And so when the material would come in from the uh, ocean and from the shipping, uh, it would be logged in at that very site. So if we were to start to peel away the time and the beautiful uh, evolution of New Haven's history, that site has always been a very pivotal site for the city of New Haven. Uh, it's ironic that this girder system is built in the 1950s during urban renewal. It guts out any, uh, any you know, uh, historical value, but it actually creates another history to itself, and that being the largest box girder system in the United States at the time, because that girder system had to span over 10 train tracks in one leap. It couldn't have anything in between it. So that was a very big deal for uh, the um, uh, highway system that was built in Eisenhower's uh, um, administration. But also what I loved about that site and what I thought that students should be really engaged in is that they're a part of the history that, we are all a part of the history of that site as it continues on through time, which is why this is so valuable. But to bring students down there and to show them the history of what had happened there from everybody from back into Benedict Arnold to the train systems to, um, uh, you know, you have uh, William Lanson, uh, who was the freeman who built uh, the pier out further into Long Wharf. So many things happened right there that, I felt that the students, if they saw the history of that site, that they could readapt their interpretation of what goes on in that site. And so that, that was extraordinarily valuable to me, and that's why I jumped on board with Laura, and I was so excited about it. I went to R.C. Lee, I went to Beecher School, and then I went to ECA, and those things got me into Rhode Island School of Design. And then I was an art director in New York, so when I came back here, I saw the site through a completely different optic. 
And I said, I want to teach students about the history of New Haven and the history of that site so that they can take it into the future. Okay. And going back to our discussion earlier about how the project reflects New Haven's diversity and aims to address the city's um, socioeconomic disparities, is the Public Art Fellows Program related to this? And what goals does the Fellows Program strive to achieve? So I would like to answer that because, in truth, we see our art as completely open-minded, not, uh, what can I say, not prejudiced any direction. And so... We want to create an opportunity uh, for kids who are ready to take that opportunity. We don't. We aren't trying to pull kids kids in, and we are not try, not asking questions about their backgrounds or what we can do to help them. We think that the that helping them develop an interest or a talent in art is an amazing thing to give them. So you've described the light installation. Can you talk a bit more about the component involving students and their performance or their participation um, in the installation? Well, it's it's a good question because uh, when Laura first um, approached me on this, uh, we were going to one school and we were looking for a few students and this thing just kept growing and growing and growing. And what I discovered about it was the wonderful diversity of the school system of New Haven allows every ethnicity, every group of people from whatever culture, wherever they're from, to look at the same site and to interpret it in their own way. So what what happened was as we were going to the schools, I was giving a little history uh, slideshow about it, and, and almost every student that saw it kept saying, we knew nothing about this history. And that got me more and more excited about telling them about that history. And so, so the, the kids would sit and we would, I would start talking about the public art pr- program and, and introduce Robert. He would start talking about the history and you could see I was watching their faces and it was amazing to me to see the kind of puzzlement and the wonderment on their faces and where you could really see a response is when he said, and this was the New Haven trolley system. If you wanted to get across town you wouldn't get on the city bus You and get on this trolley and the kids would go, oh my gosh. You know, you've described the physical space and what you're going to be doing with the lights and the sloping of, of the current infrastructure that's there. Can you talk about the programming involving students or people? Are they going to be scheduled to do things like sing, tell poems? or Because that was my understanding in that there'd be some planned activity around to make it sort of a plaza as well. Well, how it all started was we found one school, the high, um, was the, uh, high, school, in the high, high school in the community, and they're right there. And well, so, yeah, no, but I think you, in describing the project itself, yes. not how you found students, but what are the students even going to be doing? Well, I don't think... Part of what that was was we went in there and we said to whatever student wanted to get into this, uh, what, what is your talent? Now, you could be a spoken word person. You could play the steel pans. You could play guitar. You could sing. You could dance. You could, I don't care if you did hula hoops. It doesn't matter what exactly you love to do. Your free adaption into this space, when you get into this space, 
that's how it started. That's how. That's, okay, so that's yeah. how it started. But I guess my question is: Is the art project? It's this installation where there's light and yes. it's going to be pretty for or attractive for passersby and people mm-hmm. walking through. Is there going to be at the opening or throughout its duration a schedule of the students performing there, or will it be a performance space well, in so any we, way? So what's interesting about what you say is that um, we're not scheduling students to perform there once it's open. But what we're hoping to do now is kind of insidious. We're trying to get kids in there uh, to have other people drive by and see it, listen to it, look at it. So people will start of all kinds, all, they don't have to be kids, but they probably will mainly be, but to come and experience that space because the space is very responsive to you. It's it's beautiful. It's it's very much like the like I said again the subways in New York. So you don't ask anybody to come down there. It just happens. It's very organic, and that this space will become a backdrop for that kind of organic activity. So, for instance, if you want to go down and put an electric guitar in there and just play, it sounds magnificent because it has. It's not like the Coliseum that used to have walls on it and be bouncing off the walls. This is open, so the sound beautifully projects out of the space. Uh, so it's it's really just creating this wonderful amphitheater for performance that's very organic. And and what we think is that if we can get that we this is actually again uh, sort of a subversive thing we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to take that space as a public space and and to figure out what they can learn from it, what they can put into it, and see if they can. There'll be times when people will come. <laughs> with their lunches and sit down there and listen to the space, watch people go by. So one of the things that we've done is we've hired a local sound artist named Peter DeGenero, who's made a soundscape. And the soundscape is a piece of art that, co- that captures sounds that are there now and sounds that would have been there 380 years ago. And it's, so we hope that we will be able to play that as a subtle backdrop once the artwork is in, at least. Yeah, and one of the great things is about that, uh, when you close your eyes and you're in that space, you hear motorcycles go by, you hear the Metro North and the Amtrak train go by. You, If you close your eyes, it sounds like the cars are like, it's like the ocean. It has a completely different feeling when you close your eyes and hear the layers. You hear the cars overhead, you hear the cars underneath. And it takes on a very wonderful backdrop for anything that's performed in there. I also think that people could come down there and paint. I mean, that space is magnificent to set up an easel and paint in and sketch in. So I think there's a lot of different things that can happen in that space. So really, our purpose is to take the kind of unfocused uh, energy of New Haven and refocus it with uh, a lot of energy into that space. It has history. It has an amazing palatial scale. Uh, it has an ambiance, and it's going to have this amazing artwork. And we want people just to go, wait a minute, let's go look at that. Let's take someone and go look at it and just see if we can build that up. It took a lot of creative imagination, I think, to get this underway. Oh, it's so many moving parts. And it's the students, really, that have taken it on in a whole new life. I'm so proud of every student that went down there. And, I mean, the dancing is amazing. The steel pants was, it just blew my mind. I mean, they set them up in, in a quadrant 
all over the space. And then they played off the sounds and they played off each other. And then a guy came down, one of the teachers at the high school, and he came down with two guys, uh, two students with a guitar, and he played the saxophone. I mean, it sounded amazing. So I think that New Haven is really going to engage and love this space in a whole different light. And I'm, I'm so proud of not only those students, but of the city for, for pushing this thing through and, and even for Sheila to create this wonderful backdrop that people can perform and walk through safely. Now about Sheila, Site Projects New Haven has selected the artist Sheila Levant de Brettville to install the work, uh, Lighting Your Way. So can you talk more about her background and why she was selected? Sheila uh, DeBrettville has been the head of the graphic design department at the Yale School of Art for over 20 years. I first became aware of her when I was a graduate student in Los Angeles because she was living there and she was already doing public artworks in Los Angeles. And they always have a tie back very strongly to the place and to the history she did the stars in the sidewalks in the ninth square that that tell the history of some of the people who were there. Yeah, and and that's my favorite project that I know of of Sheila's here in New Haven. And I because I um uh, my family has a hundred and five year old business on Crown Street, the Acme uh, Furniture Company. Um, what I really loved about those stars was that you walked through almost the Hollywood type of thing where you see the stars on the ground, but it gave you a little synopsis of why that person was important to the city of New Haven and the dates that that person was here. And I, I personally feel that the city should fix and maintain those stars much better. And I, I honestly would feel that the city should add stars like that because that's he wants so, his grandfather. Oh, well, I love that. My grand, I love that Joe Greenberg on him. But, <laughs> but, but beyond that, I think that it really engages people to understand what went on here. And it, it really in, makes the ninth square magnificent to walk through it and to see the names of the people. And in, in, in front of cafe nine, you have George Lamberton star and he was the sea captain of the colony back in the 1600s who actually went down with the great ship. Uh, and so when you see those stars that Sheila did, you start to get this understanding of what happened here. Well, today the stars on WNHH 103.5 FM law, life and culture, and also on the new Haven independence, Facebook live our site project New Haven's executive director, Laura Clark, and who is also co-founder with Robert Greenberg of the site project's public art fellows. So, you know, with the fellows, um, is their work now completed or is it ongoing or how does that I, work I with the hope that when the piece is, uh, is finished and, and all the hoopla is over, that we will get them to go back in there and do what they did again. It would be so much fun because we've recorded it pretty carefully uh, in the state that these, the underpass is in now. But it will be great fun uh, to see those uh, kids coming back in. And, and, and hopefully we'll be able to choose another class of pu- public art fellows to do again. To learn that history, experience the space, and make something. With the fellows, are they paid, or is it sort of a part-time job, or how does that each, work? Uh, each fellow received a $100 stipend uh, once they finished. They all received, uh, they were chosen, uh, and when they were chosen and agreed to come into the program, uh, each one was given $25, 
And when the ones that finished, and not all of them did, uh, received uh, the final 75. So it's not, it doesn't substitute for a summer job. But we, but we think that for kids who really love their art, and uh, it makes it uh, interesting. Well, I, I think what it also does is it gives them uh, something fabulous for their resumes. And when you're going to college after, and a lot of them are juniors and uh, sophomores, juniors, seniors, uh, they get to leave with a really good thing on the resume where they participated with professional people to uh, hone their craft and create a direction wherever they go in life. And here is a site that they can return to in 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years, and go, I did something really cool in there, and that was in the very beginning. And and uh, some of these kids are not planning to be artists. They're going. Some of them are going off to college now. Uh, one is planning to study psychology. And but but we think that an opportunity to do something so unusual will uh, stay with them. It'll certainly stay with us. And one of the things that I've always said about site projects is nobody has more fun doing this than we do. And we have gotten so excited about the history of it. I was having friends with our program coordinator having lunch at the City Point uh, kitchen yesterday, and we're sitting there having uh, oysters and grits, and I looked up and I said, Sarah, look at that old map of New Haven. Is there a date on it? And there's only one rail line. They're not 10, you know, and so we know so much about the history of that area now. And these kids do, too. Uh, the spoken word artists that talk about William Lanson, they, they know the stories. Do you think teaching people about the history of New Haven gives them a greater civic sense of civic pride and helps people become better invested in their community? Absolutely. hundred um, percent. It is extremely valuable to teach these students and young people about what went on here. Good and bad, it doesn't matter. With all this crazy stuff going on in the United States right now with statues and things like that, so many amazing things happened in this town. And the students must know that. And if they learn that, they look at the optic of New Haven in a whole different light. Uh, For instance, the fact that Benedict Arnold's house was on Water Street, and when Benedict Arnold lost that house, when he became the traitor, the government sold the house and Noah Webster bought it. And he penned the first American dictionary in the front parlor on Water Street in Benedict Arnold's house. So you have this layer of time. And then that house became a a lumber, uh, owned by a lumber company, which eventually in the early 1900s, it was torn down. Oh, too bad. I was going to go ask where it it, is. There (laughs) is very few colonial buildings left here. It's not like Newport, Rhode Island, where you have this wonderful snow globe of uh, history and it's preserved. Um, What is preserved here in New Haven is the things that actually happened. And um, I firmly believe the city of New Haven should start to create programs in the high schools and teach the kids about how amazing this place really is. And Robert, also, we don't have time because if you get him going uh, and ask him how knowing this history should affect the future of New Haven, he said this history should be driving development. This history should be creating guidelines for the way things are designed and where places are put. And and I just, when, I, when he first started doing this, I would go, oh, yeah, yeah. But now I've come to think that he's right. We need to go back. We need to save everything we've got now 
we need to mean to make a big deal out of you, it. You have to preserve the, the brick and mortar that's left. Uh, you know, it's a, another interesting thing that I learned about this uh, very site is when I started to drop all my maps, and I have, you know, 50 maps of the evolution of New Haven from the 1600s to Google Earth today. When you start to composite those maps and you see that this very site where this is at um, was a river and is now a road, so it has a flow. It always had a flow. And then you look at State Street where the, where the uh, railroad cut is. That was also a river, but that became the Farmington Canal, and then that got filled in and became a railroad system. So you have flow where flow used to be. And so it's the evolution of the colony and the nine squares is surrounded almost by um, the organic activities that dictate from the previous people that lived here. So in essence, the future of New Haven should look at the history very carefully when new development happens here and embrace it and celebrate it. Because if you don't do that, we're just another city in the United States. We can look like any other shopping mall it becomes a very, um, you know, the same signage, the same commercial places. New Haven is unique, and it's extraordinarily important to how New America was built. So I, I feel that students should know about this site and really understand um, about the important people that did things here. In addition to the site having a very rich New Haven history, there's also the artistic element. And how do you think that that helps students in more ways than becoming a spoken poet, a poet of the spoken word? As I said before, I think having an opportunity, um, I mean, I look at these kids and I'm so jealous in a way. I just wish I had been one of these kids with these people that we've pulled together, Jesse Amin, uh, Debbie Tison, uh, Tiffany Jackson, to talk with these kids and and work with them and ask them, is this what you're? Is this what you're trying to say? Or you know, it's not clear. Uh, it's so important. Again, even if they don't go become artists, for them to develop themselves within the context of a mentorship in a really a unique place. I think it is it's a kind of thing that stays with them forever. I think that it's how it's learning how to see that when I went to Rhode Island school of design, I had a base that I learned over at ECA and they, they expand your mind just to see. So it doesn't matter what you do in the future, whatever job you take on, you don't have to be an artist, but it's a, the ability to see your surroundings and to understand it. That enhances your life, you know, beyond anything you could imagine. And, and so I think that what the engagement in this type of uh, activity down there um, will enhance their lives into the future. And fi- just finally, one thing. Every time we find out about a new historical connection or uh, a new fact or person that we didn't know about, and we all get so excited about it, the Board of Site Projects and the kids and the volunteers, and the thing it does is it it's very humbling. You know, it puts you in the context of all of these people who've gone before, who've worked so hard and done such good things. You're, you're there with them, but you're part of a much bigger thing. So what do you both personally find to be the most striking aspect about this installation? I have said all along, and not too many people see it the way I do, but 
Sheila has worked very hard uh, in the idea of that sloped plane. And when that sloped plane is cut back, the upper surface of it will be blue. It will be blue. And uh, it's going to be blue. She's working trying to choose the material and the color. But I think when you walk in that huge industrial space and the scale of that sloped uh, plain in blue and the blue paint of the girders, I think it's going to be like walking into an amazing cavern, a beautiful water-filled cavern. Yeah, and I what I did was I commissioned a, uh, a really good drone pilot to fly around it. And um, we did a very extensive uh, flyover in different directions. And it's just a beautiful flow in and out of New Haven in different directions. And the train line, I mean, the interesting thing is that when Cornelius Vanderbilt built the train, there was only one track. And so they sent the train into New Haven, 77 miles away from Manhattan, and then they put it in a roundhouse and they spun it around and sent the same train back. And you've always had this really cool flow through there. So that's the thing that I love, is that when you look at these giant steel girders and these beautiful rivets and the, and the colors that are there, um, it's not just about um, the, the highway itself. It's about the flow. It's, it's really got a pulse. And, and I, I really love that when you put the students in there and you start to engage in the site, you're taking the pulse and you're giving it a different communication. And now it has a life to it that it never was intended for. And it goes back to what I think is like the earliest days of the colony, that you had coffee shops, you had places where people met and engaged with each other. And now you have a site where people will walk through that would never talk to each other or acknowledge each other. And now if somebody is performing in the site, people stop and they ponder. They take away their phones for a second or they hashtag the space. And that's a whole nother thing we're going to do is we're going to create a thing where people, when they experience something, they'll see a hashtag on the ground. We'll have it put into the ground on the cement and you'll be able to hashtag your experience that you have with other people in that space. So to me, what I love about the space is it will now create a community of engagement with people that would never talk to each other before. Well, the ability to truly make things happen to better a community is an admirable trait. So kudos to both Laura Clark and Robert Greenberg. Do you have any final words you want our audiences to consider about the planned art installation, Light Your Way, or in general about the work you do? The work that we do takes an enormous collaboration of uh, city park, city plan, uh, board of ed, uh, neighborhood music, CAW, arts, a huge, uh, not everybody is doing what we do, but it really, it, it, it doesn't work unless more and more people want to be part of doing something that's this unusual. I, I want people, when we finally do this hashtagging part of it, I want people not as much to be critical because some people wanted graffiti and some people wanted, everybody wants something different in there. I think the simplicity of this project is really what I want people to understand that it's all about that communication with other people and, and the sound of it and the history of it. And so for me personally, I think that when you hashtag your communication with that site, that's the value that everybody will experience something different. And that's what's great about what Site Projects does. It creates that community 
that we so desperately need to maintain here in New Haven, whether it's the colleges, whether it's the people that live here or the developers or even the administration that runs it. I think that it really puts everybody in the same place and looking at something that's similar, but it, but readapting it in their own mind. So that's what I'm proud of. Well, thank you, Robert Greenberg and Laura Clark of Site-Specific New Haven. We enjoyed having you on our program as our guests and learning about one of the exciting public artworks that's underway. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us on Law, Life, and Culture on WNHH 103.5 FM. I'm Betsy Kim. Thank you.